7.30 in the morning. I had uh, had a cup of coffee and had my energy going and walked out. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. The flowers were blooming. The trees were gorgeous, especially those purple ones. And I thought, wow, it's a glorious morning. I started out on my regular walk, my favorite walk, actually. I walked down to Mountain, go down to Holliston, up Holliston to Washington, back over a ways, and then back to the house. So I was feeling really good. I had studied like a wild woman uh, for the past two or three weeks, and I had taken my state real estate exam on Wednesday. So Thursday morning, I was feeling like the weight of the world was off my shoulders. And so, man, I'm ready to do my walk. I had walked down mountain, and I, uh, as I turned on Holliston, I realized I had begun to kind of lollygag. And I thought, you know, I need to pick up the pace a bit. And so, okay, here I go. And I'm just walking away, and I'm out doing my thing. And I uh, began to notice over to the right, in the middle of Holliston, the power and water people were working. And they dug a big hole, and they were just doing whatever the power and water people do. And so I'm just walking along, and I'm watching the power and water people. And all of a sudden, without warning, I found myself tripping and falling forward to the sidewalk. You know how it is when you just begin to trip and you think, Oh, I'm going to be able to pull it out and not fall down and be on my way. Didn't happen. I um, found myself on the sidewalk with my lips on the sidewalk. I had caught myself with my mouth, kind of like an airbag, I think. <laughs> I got up and I began to kind of test my body to make sure that I was all right. I uh, uh, realized that my lips were bleeding and there were some hard things in my mouth and I'm kind of going, mm, and I spit them out. And fortunately, it was not my teeth. It was rocks. Uh, and my shirt was muddy. My knee was bleeding. My wrist felt kind of funny. I'm going, boy, I don't think I've broken anything. I was a sight. The power and water men were looking over here and they're going, are you all right? And of course, I jumped up, covered my mouth with my sweatshirt and said, of course, I'm all right. I'm fine, fine, fine. And uh, began to soak up the blood as it ran down my chin on my way back up mountain toward the house. Well, I made my, my way back to the house to clean up. And as I walked along, I thanked God that I had had this fall on Thursday, not Wednesday, as I would have been a sight for those people who were uh, giving the exam on Wednesday at the real estate board. By the way, I passed. So, dear, if I get this straight, you were watching the guys. <laughs> you were looking at the construction workers and fell down. I just, I just want some credit here, right? Is that what you heard? Uh-huh. She was looking at the construction workers and fell down. That's what I heard. Um, or maybe she was still focusing on the real estate exam and all those real estate facts and so forth was... Maybe they were floating through her head. I don't know. Today I'd like to take a moment and uh, talk to you about focus, about what you're focusing on. And, of course, you're going to have to do some of the work because I don't know what you're focusing on, but we're going to talk about focus for a few moments today. And this really is going to wrap up a sermon series we're calling Spring into Joy. And we've been reading through the book of Philippians. It's on page uh, 805 if you care to follow along. And we've been talking about how to have joy in our lives. And I believe part of the 
teaching of Philippians is that joy is going to come somewhat in relationship to our sense of focus and correct focus. So this morning I'd like to go back to a passage in chapter 3, Philippians 3, 12 through 16. And I'd like for you to focus for a moment. How many of you are going to focus in? Okay, try to focus with me here. And uh, let's think about focus and finding our focus, because I think as you find your focus as God counts focus, it's going to help you in your life, and it's going to contribute to joy. So let's, let's jump in. In your worship folder, there's an outline. And since the PowerPoint is down, uh, I encourage you to find a, an outline and uh, follow along with me if you would. Anybody need an outline? I know the ushers did a good job of handing them out, but anybody need one? Okay. If you do, just raise your hand and we'll get, get you uh, an outline. First of all, find focus. Don't lose what you have, H-A-V-E. Don't lose what you have. If you have the scripture in front of you, I'd like for us to read this together out loud. You'll have to read off the, the sheet in front of you and not the screen, of course. But let's read this together, Philippians 3, 15, and 16. This is actually the end of the paragraph. We're going to start and then at the back. Let's read. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Now, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you would agree with this statement. How many of you could say, Steve, I've made some progress in my life? Huh? I'm going to look around. Alan? Yeah? We've all made some progress in our lives, sure. And it's interesting, as Paul concludes this section... He says, I want you to hold on to the progress. In uh, old Baptist church language, you would hear this word a lot. I don't know if you've ever heard it from me before, but how many of you have heard about backsliding? It doesn't mean sliding on your back. (laughs) It means going backwards. In other words, you've made some progress forward in life, but when you backslide, you're going the wrong direction. You're losing ground, so to speak. It's like the old statement, two steps forward, one step backwards, and that's kind of like life. Paul here, I think, in another way is saying, don't backslide. You've made some, you've gained some ground. Hang on to it. You've got some progress. Keep it. And then he makes a very curious uh, statement. I love what he says here. He is writing to friends. It's a very joyful, open letter. It's a fun letter to read. It's 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 a thrilling letter to read. And Paul says almost playfully, because I think he's being open and transparent, he brings up the issue of disagreements. Now, how many of you in church have ever had a disagreement? You don't need to raise your hand, but you've disagreed with someone. The pastor, for example. Paul says, interestingly enough, and I just want to highlight this, if you disagree on some point, God will make it plain to you. And he moves on. In other words, don't allow your disagreements even to let you slide backwards. So I wanted to start at the back end of this paragraph today and say, find focus. Don't lose what you have as you go forward in life. uh, Mark where you are and keep going forward. Don't slide backwards. That's the first point on find focus. Now, the second one, we're going to sit here a little longer. Find focus. Admit when you are out of focus quickly. Let me read this scripture. It's a little longer. We're going back to the beginning of the paragraph, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Paul writing, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. He's talked about some great things. He says, I don't think I've already achieved them or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. Do you know what the word hubris means? H-U-B-R-I-S, hubris. 
The word hubris means pride or presumption. It means arrogance. If someone asked you, for example, if you have ever made a mistake in your life or if there's some things, if you could go back over it, you might change or do differently, the right answer would be what? Yes. Let me just say, if a politician in the coming elections is asked if he's ever made a mistake and says, no, I can't think of any, don't vote for him. You just might want to go down that road. Hubris is, is arrogance. It's the idea, in fact, you and I have all, we've all talked to people like this. It doesn't matter the subject you bring up. They are going to show you that they know it all, right? They just start going off and tell you how much they know. And it's like, wow, I didn't know. So, if you're going to have a focused life, if you're going to find your focus, you need to be able to identify when you yourself, or me for myself, Steve, I need to be able to identify when I'm out of focus. It's a huge matter, and I, I hope to illustrate that uh, a bit for you here. Paul does not display hubris, but humility in this comment. He says, I have not arrived. This is Paul talking. I've not reached maturity yet, com- perfection. I'm not where I need to be. I press on, he says. I'm going there, but, and I've made some progress, but I'm not there yet. This is Paul late in his Christian experience. Wow. That's not hubris. That's humility. And it's a great example for us. Friends, you cannot really grow or change if you can't recognize when you're out of focus. You can't go forward in life if you can't actually say, you know, this, this, is, this is not good. This is a mistake. This is something I need to change. If you can't do that kind of critical analysis of yourself, uh, you're in big trouble. That's hubris. Now, I want to give you a couple of examples of what I'm talking about here. Because I think if we're going to find our focus, we need to be able to identify when we are out of focus. Let me give you some examples of folks who identified they were out of focus. I don't know if you know who David Nealman is, but he is a man who recognized something is out of focus. Not only that, he didn't try to cover it up. He stepped up, took the blows, and said, we've made a mistake. Let me read from this letter he put out earlier this year. We are sorry and embarrassed. That's his first line. Wow. But most of all, we are deeply sorry. Last week was the worst operational week in JetBlue's seven-year history. Many of you were either stranded, delayed, or had flights canceled following the severe winter ice storm in the northwest or northeast. Words cannot express how truly sorry we are for the anxiety, frustration, and inconvenience that you, your family, friends, and colleagues experience. And he goes on and on. Kind of amazing from an executive, isn't it? to just step up and say, we're sorry. We made some mistakes. That's called humility. That's called say, seeing things are out of focus and saying, I'm sorry they're out of focus, and let's try, to focus, let's try to focus them. Now, a few years ago when Joyce was working um, in the medical field, she uh, was working with some doctors all over the country, and in Japan, there is a tremendous hierarchy. You know, if you're an older, successful surgeon, you kind of run the show, and everybody, you know, there's a hierarchy, a pecking order, and it's very strict. And um, she was in conversation with a surgeon back there, and he had his assistant writing to Joyce, and they were going back and forth with emails. Uh, was this a new assistant, or... No, he wasn't new. Anyhow, this assistant was writing on behalf of the doctor to Joyce, and he began his email, Dear Laura. Well, nobody knows what happened in Japan, but what I'd like to read to you is the assistant's apology. Okay? You, you know where we're going? I'm clear, yeah. Dear Joyce, this is an email the man named John sent. 
Let me please apologize again on my careless mistake of calling you Laura. I know how rude it must seem to get your name totally wrong, and that was never my intention. As I said in my email to you yesterday, the meaning, warmth, friendliness of the message to you was honest and heartfelt. What I regret most of all and hate is that if I have caused any damage in your relationship with Dr. So-and-so. I know he values you as a close colleague and, more importantly, as a friend. By writing on his behalf and addressing you wrongly, I have not shown you the proper respect and admiration that he has for you. Please know that he is void of any responsibility and the blame should be entirely on me. I hope that you find... I hope that you may find it in your heart to forgive me and accept my apology for my stupid mistake. Oh, my goodness, it's painful, isn't it? I mean, that's an apology. Wow. That's an apology. It may, it may not quite be our culture, but I think it demonstrates the point. He, he realized something's out of focus. I'm going to step up and recognize it's out of focus and try to get it back into focus. Um, when Joyce fell down uh, last Thursday... And uh, I saw her the next day or later that day, I guess. And, uh, you know, her lip was a little cut. And I first thought she had a fever blister. Now, it is possible she could have said, uh, oh, yeah, I woke up with a terrible fever blister this morning and just shined it off and we would never know, right? I mean, that's, that's a possibility. But she had the humility to recognize, and I don't think it's a big deal in our household, but, you know, this is what happened. And it sort of has become a joke. Thank God she wasn't injured seriously. And uh, she was humbled to share that with you today, and we appreciate it. I think she was looking at men, right? <laughs> but what, that's what I'm talking about. When things are out of focus, can you identify that in your own life and be a person enough, man or woman or young person enough, to simply say, yeah, this is out of focus. we got a problem here. I've got a problem, and step up. Because I want to suggest to you, you can't find focus in life until you recognize it's out of focus. So let, let's move on. Another point. Um, oh, wait a minute. Before we move on, I want you to practice something. Uh, would you just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm sorry? Okay. It doesn't matter what for. Just I want you to practice. It's good to practice these things, right? You got it out. You, you can at least say it. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Number three, find focus. Forget it. Find focus. Forget it. Paul writes in his letter, and this is actually what attracted me back to this passage, Paul writes, he says, as we have traveled through the, uh, he says, but, but focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. And there in the middle of verse 13, Paul says, forgetting the past. Now, I have a question, and this is actually why I'm preaching this sermon, because it's really caught my interest. What did Paul have to forget? Now, there are a variety of kinds of us in here. Some of you may not even know who Paul is, so you can't answer the question. That's okay. But for those of you familiar with Paul, I want some feedback here. What do you think Paul had to forget? Because he says, I'm focusing on the future, I'm forgetting the past. David, one thing. Everything that he'd done in the past, all of his persecution. Okay, he had to forget he was persecuted. Good. Somebody else, another one. Christian. The power of his previous life when he was a Pharisee. Uh-huh. What else? Collect, uh, Paul wasn't a tax collector, so <laughs> the Pharisee, as a Pharisee, yeah, he had to forget that. Glenn? His previous claims to self-righteousness. His previous claims to self-righteousness. That's a big one. I was out of focus. I thought I was in focus. Mm-hmm. What else? Yes, he had to forget his shipwrecks. Uh-huh. Stoning of Stephen. 
The stoning of Stephen. You remember that story? The first Christian martyr, Saul was there holding the clothes of those that killed this person named Stephen. What else did he have to forget? Well, I was interested in this because uh, this has been running through my mind, and uh, let me just set the context. As Paul writes Philippians, he is where? He's writing from what? Prison. He's in jail. Now, if you go back and read in the book of Acts, how did he get in jail? We're not going to go through that long story, but he got into jail because he went back to Jerusalem and got in trouble. Now, what's been intriguing me is this. On his way, Paul did these missionary journeys, trips, and on his way back to Jerusalem, as he had set his intention, we're going back for this certain festival, we want to be there at a certain time, on the way, twice, people warned him, don't go there. By the Spirit of God, it actually says, these aren't people who were just off the street, these were Christian sisters and brothers who said to Paul, by the Spirit of God, the Scripture actually says in one case, Paul was warned, don't go there. Then a prophet came, Agabus. He tied a belt around Paul and said, so you're going to be bound if you go to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how this, you know, this is Steve talking, not Scripture here, but it's really intrigued me if, as Paul got locked up in that jail and stayed there month after month into years, wouldn't you be thinking, he thought, oh, man, I should have listened to Agabus. What am I doing here? Now, there's no indication that Paul thought that. I'm not reflecting Scripture here. I don't know what Paul thought. Had it been me... I would have said, big mistake, big mistake going to Jerusalem. Now, you and I have been there, right? We've, something, we've made a decision, we've gone through with it, something happened that we didn't like or expect, and we said, big mistake, I shouldn't have done that. Paul does not seem to do that, okay? Be clear about that. But I've wondered, as he writes this word, forgetting what is behind, what did he have to forget? And we've shared, I've got a list of at least six things he had to forget here. Now, we could go on with that, but the point is, as you find your focus, it's going to require forgetting. When we went through this passage a couple weeks ago, I had a sermon point that said, in order to move ahead, you must leave behind. And I asked you, what must you leave behind if you're going to go ahead? And that's that's a huge question, and that's what we're talking about here. In your life, if you're really going to make progress, you're going to have to do some forgetting. There's just no question about that. Now, by forgetting, I don't mean that you can't remember it anymore, because Paul, there were lots of things he forgot, but he often, in his own testimonies, he recounted his old life, so it hadn't been wiped from his memory. So what does forgetting mean? Well, perhaps, as I ask you, what must you leave behind in order to move ahead? What do you need to forget at this stage of your life? Let me just run through a list to help prompt your thinking. Perhaps it's a small matter, like an unfair or even mean comment that someone made to you. Will you join Paul this morning in saying, I'm going to forget that? Or, perhaps today is the day to forget how well you did in something. Or how badly you did in something. Perhaps you did well in school or poorly in school. Today is the day to move on from that. Perhaps you have a bigger challenge today. Uh, Probably you did not consent to anyone's death like Paul did. But what about past mistakes? Ugh. We call them sins in church, don't we? Regrets. You've got yours, I've got mine. Are you able to forget those and move ahead? Paul was, and he had some big ones. Uh, Perhaps, actually, it's not so much your misdeeds or personal failure that you need to forget. Maybe it's stuff that's been done unto you, wrongfully, violently even. 
And you need to somehow lay that behind you so you can move into the future God has for you. I don't know what you need to forget, but I know that every one of us has to do some forgetting, as Paul counts forgettings, to move ahead. Friends, there's not a person in this room here today that doesn't need to leave some things behind in order to go forward. You say, well, Steve, how do we do that? Well, we recognize here's where my life has been out of focus or here's where I need to refocus. And we do business with God. This is the moment to do that, to get it in focus. It's to open your life and say, God, I do need you. And I need, if it's a sin you need to forget, you say, I bring that to you and I give it to you and I receive your cleansing that comes through the blood of Jesus. Wash me and make me clean so that I can go forward fresh and ready to love you and serve you. I don't know what it is. But you bring that to the Lord. And you say, Lord, here it is. Help me to leave it behind and go forward into the future you have. Focusing your life involves what I call selective memory. You make a decision that that thing in the past, good or bad, will no longer shackle you. We're not talking about magic here. We're talking about God's power for you to be able to go forward. Uh, Today, and I'll look at the news sometime this night to see who won, won the U.S. Open. I'm not a golfer, but I'm intrigued by Tiger Woods and his golf game. And I can tell you this much. Whoever wins today is the person who probably most of all did the best forgetting. Because they were able to walk up to that ball and forget yesterday and forget the last shot and focus on that ball and focus on where they were going to drive it forward, and that's all they do. And probably if Tiger comes from behind, he's the most likely one to do that because he does such a good job of forgetting what's behind and moving ahead. And this morning I want to encourage you, if you're going to find your focus, you need to do some forgetting. Just forget it. That's what Paul writes about. Now, two other things. Find focus uh, in verse 13. Forward to the future. Forward to the future. That's what Paul says in uh, verse 13. He says, forgetting what is behind, looking forward to what lies ahead. Okay, to review, Paul says, I've not yet arrived. I'm forgetting what is past. I'm moving forward to what goes before me. I'm moving forward to what is head. And finally, this is the last point. Find focus. Christ is the prize. Christ is the prize. Listen to Paul in this uh, very special passage. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This is a rich text. Let me underline some of the words for you or put them in bold relief. Paul is like a racer on a track. Paul is like a hunter pursuing the game. Paul says, I press on. I push forward. Secondly, he says, I focus on one thing. What is that, Paul? It's Christ. The psalmist put it this way. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. Jesus healed a blind man one time. And they came back and quizzed him about what's going on in your life since Christ came in. And the the guy didn't know much. And he said, one thing I know. Once I was blind, now I see. It's another version of saying, this is what Jesus has done for me. That's what I know. That's what Paul said over and over and over. This is what Christ means in my life. Sir, dad, mom, child, person, what does Christ mean in your life? What is your focus? Is it to know him, as Paul says in this passage, and his power in your life? And then finally he says, straining forward, I press on to reach the end of the race. Years ago, I was back at uh, where I partially grew up in the Ozarks. And uh, I spent my adolescent years on a farm where 
uh, my dad worked, and it was a farm run by a mission in Kansas City where they served the homeless, they served the very poor, they served uh, alcoholics, drug addicts, and then my dad ran this camp in the Ozarks where the men would go through a recovery program. Anyhow, I was back there visiting a few years ago, and the man that used to run the mission's name is Morris Vanderberg. He was a wonderful preacher, a great leader who just gave his whole life in Kansas City for serving the poor and, and working in this ministry. And Morris had retired. He was back there just resting, uh, hanging out for a weekend or something. And I happened to meet him, and he was showing me some of the new buildings built on the property. And so we had seen the chapel, and as we were talking, Morris was probably in his late 70s then. Here's a man that I knew all my life and admired and respected. And he, he said, you know, Steve, I'm getting old. And I respectfully didn't comment. Uh, and he said, you know, all my life I've taught about Jesus I've preached about Jesus. I've told other people about Jesus. But you know what? And I said, no, what? I'm going to see him real soon. And he was so excited. His eyes were sparkling. He said, you know, it suddenly dawned on me, I'm going to see Jesus. Now, he didn't, he didn't have some terminal disease. You know, he didn't, wasn't saying I'm going to die tomorrow. He said, I'm going to see him. And he was so excited about the reality, I'm going to see Jesus, that that was the next thing. That was what he was focusing on. He said, I can't wait. This person I've talked about all my life, I'm going to meet him. Now, this morning, as we conclude, uh, you're going to meet Jesus. You know that, don't you? Whether you're excited or not. Because the Bible says every one of us is going to give an account of what we've done in our bodies before God. Every one of us. So we are going to meet God. That, that's not a question. The question is, what's it going to be like? And what's our focus now is going to determine what it's going to be like then. So this morning, I can't speak for you. I can only appoint you to Paul, who is so focused and pressed on to know Christ. And I want to ask you, what's your life focused on? How's your focus? Are you able to identify when you're out of focus and adjust that lens so it comes back into focus? I want to conclude with these words. They're a song that some of us grew up reading in church. And the words are this, and may it be our prayer. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. May your life be focused this week, focused on Christ.